The spring I decided to leave Dr. Brandt's practice, my focus shifted to Nancy, a pretty blonde gal I met through Philip, a young man who worked at my answering service. Philip directed any calls that needed a large animal veterinarian my way if the caller's regular vet couldn't be located. Phil was an affable fellow, living on Calgay Arabian Ranch, the same place a young woman named Nancy lived. Philip suggested I meet the lass, so I set up a date to meet her at Joshua's, the local bar and restaurant frequented by the young crowd. My apartment was two blocks from Joshua's, so I walked across Vine Street and waited for the new woman to change my life. Philip entered with an attractive sandy-haired blonde, fulfilling the first major criteria I use to allow ladies inside my circle. After Nancy and Philip sat down, I ordered drinks and proceeded to become familiar with her. Quickly, I realized Nancy passed my second and last criteria to deem a woman worthwhile to pursue. She was interested in me. A while later, we said goodbye to Philip as we left Joshua's, walking arm in arm across Vine Street to my apartment. This relationship was important to Nancy, so she told me she didn't want to make love the first night we met. I nodded, disappointed but understanding about it. Do you want me to drive you home, I asked. No, Nancy replied. I'll sleep here in the living room on the beanbag chair.
That night was lonely, but by the next morning Nancy caved in and we made love the rest of the day. We were inseparable for the next few months. Nancy and I stayed a strong couple for almost half a year. She accompanied me when I left my apartment and moved to the country. I'd gone on a horse call to Oak Country Ranch, and after exclaiming to Donna, the owner of the place, I thought it was beautiful, she asked me if I'd like to live there. She had a vacancy in a trailer on her property and was looking for a tenant. I jumped at the opportunity, and Nancy helped me move into our new digs. However, something dimmed my image of the woman sleeping next to me when I was swayed by Lori, a horsewoman I met during my final days at Dr. Brandt's. Similar to Nancy, Lori possessed the criteria I required to seek out a meaningful relationship. She was pretty and she was attracted to me. But Lori held out a big carrot. She wanted to develop a horse center with an arena where she and her friends practiced roping. And she offered to build a vet clinic on the property. My enamoration with Nancy evaporated as I focused on the next important step in my career. True to her promise, Lori built a two-story place next to the arena. I'd rent the downstairs as a vet clinic, while Linda, Lori's horse trainer, rented the upstairs. Lori became my office manager. I asked Nancy to move out while Lori and I had a brief and torrid affair, despite the fact she was married with two kids. When this new relationship dissolved, I rekindled my relationship with Nancy, but remained unsettled as to future marriage prospects. Then a famous singer, Mary McGregor, came into my gun sights. Brian will explain. Chapter 25 Big Sur, Where Time Stands Still A series of storms in the winter of 1983 caused four major road-closing slides between January and April. The March slide north of Big Sur closed the road between Big Sur and Monterey for approximately two months. Another major March slide, occurring south of Big Sur, near Julia Pfeiffer Burn State Park, was at the time the largest slide to affect a state highway. It took over a year to completely clear that slide and reopen the road between Big Sur and San Simeon. The road south of Big Sur was reopened to local traffic over one year later, on March 21, 1984. It officially reopened to through traffic on April 11, 1984. Telegram Tribune, San Luis Obispo, California. The 1982-83 winter I worked with Dr. Brandt was a wet one. I remember one evening I was scheduled to give a talk on rabbit husbandry to the Creston FFA. The town of Creston is small. At the time, 
It had, and still has, two saloons, a church, a school, a post office, and a general store. There was no public water system, sewage system, and there were no streetlights. At the time, I was still running around in the little Honda car. The 4-H leader's home, where I was giving my talk, was in the hills east of Creston. The storm made it hard following the directions I had. The rain was coming down in sheets, and the windshield wipers were on maximum as I turned and followed a dirt road for a mile. The unpaved way was bumpy, from the rivulets caused by the torrential rain, and was quite slippery because the clay was wet. The car periodically slid sideways as I attempted to go forward. I made it to the house and presented my lecture, but was not used to such sloppy, harsh driving conditions, and was glad to see the paved streets and lights as I drove back home to Paso Robles. That storm affected others. About 100 miles away, the residents of Big Sur were isolated by mudslides blocking their normal egress. Over the rest of the spring, some of the smaller slide areas opened, but the road leading into Monterey was gone, washed into the ocean. It took Caltrans over a year to reopen this northern access, which meant the vet care from the Monterey area was not available, and the people of Big Sur now look south to Cambria and Paso Robles for their veterinary needs. Honey Rose had a lame mare and met me at Dr. Brandt's office for an evaluation. She couldn't move the front leg forward when asked to step ahead. That usually occurs when the foot is sore, many times when a nail penetrates the hoof, a typical scenario in wet soil littered with old hardware from previous projects. However, this lameness was different. If I lined the leg up straight and made the horse put weight on the leg by pushing at her from the right side, then the limb could support her weight. That let me know there was little likelihood the leg was fractured, as the mare couldn't stand any pressure on the leg if it were. It wasn't a fracture. It was a nerve avulsion, and the nerve supplying the mare's leg muscles were not working, specifically the radial nerve, so there was no impulse to excite the muscles to move the limb forward. The radial nerve roots come out of the neck vertebrae, just before the shoulder area, and any damage to the shoulder region can cause a nerve paralysis such as this one. One typical scenario is when the horse slips and the leg goes all the way forward and all the way sideways, which could have happened during the rainstorms when the dirt hillsides became slippery from the rain. Honey also told me the place they pastured the horse was steep, mostly up and down, and I can envision the horse slipping down and forward into a ravine. I offered a guarded to poor prognosis, and Honey and her partner Neil asked me to put the horse down. Big Sur soon became part of my practice territory when winter rains closed the road to Monterey. Usually I wouldn't drive that far, it takes too much time. But these folks couldn't get anyone else. I received a call from Honey Rose again. She was a midwife for many of the alternative lifestyle seekers in the remote Big Sur enclave. She asked if I could find time to spend a Saturday at their ranch in Big Sur. They had a lot of young goats needing castration, and all the animals required their vaccinations. She would see if the neighbors needed me as well. I looked forward to the call. I visited Big Sur the summer before the rains ruined the road. It was when I was dating Nancy. We drove up the coast to sightsee. After entering the giant redwood stands in Julia Pfeiffer Burns State Park, we passed the quaint town of Big Sur and pulled into Nepenthe's restaurant. I recalled this place as I had ridden by on my bicycle probably five years earlier on my trip from Davis. Like the hippie residents of Big Sur, Nepenthe was as different as they were. The mythical setting and the people who call this place home 
made Nepenthe and Big Sur famous. You have to climb a hundred stairs to get to the restaurant. Ferns and subtropical plants populate the space under the oak trees, adding to the botanical uniqueness. As one approaches the top landing, the coastline comes into view, and there's miles of it. Once inside Nepenthe, you can sit at the bar, at an inside table, or you can take a spot outside on the western patio, which allows a broader view of the ocean vista. Our waitress was wearing a long dress. She had a flower in her hair and wore sandals. Very 60s style, I thought. There was, and still is, something else about Big Sur besides the throwback to the hippie era. It has a spiritual quality. Its natural majesty emphasizes our insignificance. The mountains are high, and their presence defines the precious space between them and the ocean, the place available for people. Giant redwoods dripping morning dew provide a protective effect, as does the mist rising from the waves breaking on the beaches a hundred feet below. It appeals to me every time I visit, but it isn't a place I would like to live. It's too remote and rugged for anything except occasional hikes and overnights, and sometimes scuba diving off the rocky beaches looking for jade. When mudslides occur in Big Sur, extreme devastation results. The entire mountainside falls into the ocean, and the process of carving virgin land into roads starts all over again. I arrived at Honey Rose House about one in the afternoon. Living in Big Sur area for 20 years, Honey developed a network of friends and neighbors. She and her family were caretakers on a parcel of land overlooking the ocean. A California senator owned the place, and Honey's family lived in a double-wide mobile home behind the gated entrance. Now, because of the rough winter, their house was ripped open. A third of the double-wide mobile home sheared off when rushing waters washed away the stilts supporting that part of the house. The place where the bedrooms used to be was now an ugly opening, covered by blue tarps. Honey asked me if I wanted to stay overnight, but the sleeping quarters were sparse, and the only electricity came from a noisy gas generator spewing carbon monoxide into the air. I asked for a rain check and returned to Paso in the early evening. A few weeks later, Honey called once more. The animal owners of Esalen needed a vet to come out for a day of routine maintenance, including wormings and vaccinations. I was invited to be a guest for the evening, including dinner, and was offered use of their natural hot springs, along with a place to sleep. Esalen is on Highway 1, about 20 miles north of Honey's Place. It started out as a resort in the 1960s, evolving into a place of spiritual revelation, combining learning with introspection. I joked with Honey about it that the retreat was a place for rich people to visit and find themselves. I didn't have enough time to find myself there, but I sure did enjoy the hot springs. I traveled through Big Sur the next summer after Highway 1 reopened. Nancy and I were on our way to meet up with one of my new clients, Mary McGregor. Mary was a singing superstar who came to prominence a decade earlier when her most famous song, Torn Between Two Lovers, made it to the number one spot. Currently, she was headlining at the Doubletree Hotel Lounge in Monterey. Earlier in the month, Mary's road manager, Melanie, called me out to their ranch to preg check one of their mares, Babe. Palpating a pregnancy, I looked at her breeding date. She was due to foal in early spring. During the preg check, Melanie invited me to hear Mary sing, so Nancy and I drove up to Monterey. When we arrived at the place, Melanie came over to greet us, leading us to a front table. Mary came over to talk between sets, and Mel introduced us. There was small talk, but she was busy, and none of us had much in common other than I was the vet for her pregnant mare. Still, I was intrigued and interested in the woman. Nancy must have realized my focus, 
and she pouted the entire way home, not talking for two hours. Nancy was my go-to girl. Whenever I was between my brief relationship, I could call Nancy. After she and I split up the first time, she rented a room from Jerry. He owned a carpet and flooring company. Unlike Jerry, I was still struggling financially. I was jealous of his success, but not showing it, knowing my time was coming. Jerry was my age and used his years since high school developing a successful business. He owned his house. It had a large outdoor jacuzzi, and he had lots of other toys. There were numerous vehicles in his garage and a ski boat, another big chick magnet. When we went drinking at Joshua's, the local hangout, he dropped $50 tips on waitresses. Of course, the ladies flocked to him. Many times I secretly wondered whether my long years of schooling, taking the long, slow route, would ever bring me the success Jerry enjoyed. Even though she left her place at Cal Gay Arabians when she came to live with me the first time, Nancy remained interested in Arabian horses. She was particularly keen on attending the must-see Nicholas de Longpre Arabian horse auction, but needed financial credentials to get in. Neither Nancy or I had these powers, but Jerry did. He was able to obtain a letter of commitment from his bank for $30,000, and a few days later, we received tickets for the auction. On the day of the sale, we drove through Santa Inez along Highway 154. The Nicholas de Longpre partners bought the San Fernando Rey Ranch in 1979, situated on Highway 154, and the banks of Lake Kachuma, north of Santa Barbara. The place looked impressive from the road. There was a white-painted fence a half-mile long paralleling Highway 154, as well as numerous cross-fencing on the large paddocks. The main house and barn were out of sight. I've passed this ranch many times. Highway 154 is a shortcut into Santa Barbara. Now I was a guest on the farm. Well, Jerry and Nancy were, and I was their tag-along friend. The parking lot was jammed with cars. Drivers and golf carts took us to the auction barn from the car park. The large barn, now a Hollywood venue, was dominated by a stage along the front, a 75-foot bar was on the right, and there were many cloth-covered tables in the center. Drinks were free. Creating an impression on the audience was of paramount importance. With no expense spared, these Hollywood types were determined to make sales. A local author wrote about the event. Stage set designers were brought in from Las Vegas. Each horse had its music played by a full orchestra. Unique lighting effects were designed to show off the extraordinary beauty of each animal. The music swelled, the curtains parted, and the spotlights bounced off mirrored surfaces. An exquisite snow-white mare came prancing out from this sparkling atmosphere. Tom Chauncey and David Murdoch bought the mare Fantasia for $450,000, and this was Murdoch's first Arabian horse. Santa Inez Valley Secrets, authored by Patricia Murphy. During the sale, the audience was repeatedly urged to buy a living statue. It was crazy. Arabian yearlings sold for $175,000. Not surprisingly, the group of us from Paso Robles went back home without a horse. However, it made me aware of the massive amounts of money inside the Arabian horse industry. End of chapter. Used to be annoyed by many potential lovers, Mary didn't give me any reason I was special. She was on stage to display her talent, not look for potential lovers, and she publicly proclaimed this was not the way to begin a relationship during a concert with Joe and Rick and Steamboat. Nonetheless, Mary's singing was a siren to me, and Nancy noticed. 
Although she didn't talk to me on the way home, it didn't matter because my mind was thinking about opportunities with this accomplished singer. A thing that Joe and I laugh about frequently. One night um, when we were playing in the Ratzka, there was a particularly lively group of ladies who were after these guys. And uh, they were making plans. And I was getting mad. And just before we finished for the night, I said, well, we're going to do one more song now. Some of us are going home to our spouses. You, you were playing with Wait. Anthony then. Yeah. I'm, I'm almost sure. Must have been little Dave and Anthony she's talking. Almost Certainly positive. wouldn't have been us. No. But this has nothing to do with that song.
this was your cue. Peace for our brothers, the world's sweet surprise. Tell me it's there in the mountains, it's waiting. Peace for our brothers, the world's sweet surprise. Thank you. Thank you all for listening. You can follow the story on my blog, jeadvm.com. Once on my blog's front page, go to the menu, pick my books, and click on Fear of Failure. The entire autobiography can be purchased as an old-fashioned paper book or an e-book, as well as an 11-disc audiobook set, or can be downloaded from the audiobook site ACX. More details are on my website, jeadvm.com dot com.